You're listening to a podcast from Heart. Welcome to this Heart podcast from the British Cardiovascular Society. My name is Guy Lloyd, consultant cardiologist in Eastbourne, and I'm here with Dr. Mark Dweck, who is a senior specialist registrar in cardiology and who's currently undertaking a PhD in aortic valve disease. Mark, you spoke to us very engagingly in the symposium earlier in the day, and your research is focused around the role of calcification in um, aortic stenosis. How important do you think calcification is, uh, and where does it fit in the initiation and development of aortic valve disease? Yeah, so that's an interesting question, Guy, and uh, something we've been looking carefully at. The data that exists already and the studies that we've been doing suggest that probably the important processes that uh, lead to the development of aortic stenosis are similar to atherosclerosis, so mechanical stress causing endothelial damage, infiltration into the valve of lipids and inflammatory cells. Ultimately, what happens is that these processes, the inflammation causes myofibroblasts to differentiate into osteoblasts within the cell, within the valve. And and once that happens, I think that's when calcification really takes over. And um, the calcific process appears to be similar in many ways to that involved with skeletal bone formation. You've got osteoblasts coordinating things, lots of the same regulators involved as you see in the bone. And actually, by the end stages of the valve disease, you see microfractures, you see hemopoietic tissue, you see lamella bone all in the valve. And um, I think once that's established and the osteoblasts are going, then that's really the kind of key uh, process driving disease progression. And is there a difference in disease progression between those with highly calcified valves and those with perhaps less highly calcified valves? Yeah, that's right. So the, there's some good data, um, particularly from uh, Rosenheck and his colleagues, suggesting that the degree of calcification at baseline is probably the best predictor of aortic stenosis progression in those with mild or moderate disease and the best predictor of adverse events in people with more severe disease. So I think that's a very important thing to look for. Okay, well, you mentioned about the sort of initiation of aortic stenosis and perhaps its similarities to atherosclerosis, Um, but upstream therapies, for instance, with statins, have taken a bit of a bashing in recent years um, with the publication of now three negative randomised controlled trials. How do you think that fits into the whole story? And and, and do you see any future for upstream therapies, either tackling calcification or earlier treatment with statins? Yeah, so I mean, the statin trials have been very disappointing. And I guess with the benefit of hindsight, perhaps it's not surprising because statins have consistently failed to impact on calcification. Even in the coronary arteries where you think they might have an effect, calcification progresses independent of you being on those drugs. So I think trying to target the inflammation and lipid deposition that occurs early on, hoping it will then affect calcification later is you know, perhaps was the wrong strategy. And certainly our feeling up in Edinburgh is that we'd be better off targeting the calcification directly. But that's easier said than done. And we don't have any very obvious drugs that we can immediately turn to. But there is evidence that bisphosphonates and uh, newer generation osteoporosis treatments may have beneficial effects in terms of uh, vascular calcification. And perhaps they need a, a bit more study. Okay. The research you've been doing, which is fascinating, uses PET to sort of focus on inflammation, calcification and so forth. Would you like to explain a little bit about that and perhaps the relative importance of those two processes? In Sure. So um, we've been using uh, PET-CT 
which is a, a modern non-invasive imaging technique that can tell us about the activity of specific pathological processes in the valve and luckily enough we've got two tracers that can tell us about inflammation and calcification and as we've discussed those are really key processes inflammation more so in the early stages calcification later on and we can use the technology to measure the calcification activity in the valve and what we're seeing is that the uptake of both tracer increases as the valve severity increases but that the levels of calcification activity far outweigh that of the inflammation particularly later on in moderate and severe disease so i think that you know supports this hypothesis that calcification is really the key determinant of disease activity and it's potentially an interesting research technique for looking at the the pathogenesis of aortic stenosis whether it will ever be a clinical tool i'm not so sure because it's an expensive technique but it's certainly got a potential as perhaps a surrogate of disease activity for new anticalcific therapies. Well, I was going to ask you about sort of translation because yeah. um, there are increasing numbers of ways of imaging calcium and particularly cardiac CT is probably, uh, mm. you know, is now rolled out in many areas. Do you see that as having a clinical role now or in the near future or not at all? A CT in terms of aortic valve disease can be useful and I think it can maybe well it certainly can detect calcification more sensitively than cardiography for instance but it can't really give you dynamic assessments of valve severity so I think echocardiography you know holds a lot of advantages in that respect but as we said before heavy calcification of the valve is a good mark of disease progression and so perhaps CT scanning can be useful in picking out people are likely to progress quickly. Obviously, most valve disease now in this country is degenerative. Um, mm. But is there any difference in the relative importance of calcification, inflammation, when you compare degenerative valve disease with, say, for instance, bicuspid disease? Well, that that's a great question. We, we don't have the answer to that because um, we haven't looked at the bicuspid population in itself. The, the PET studies, they involve radiation dose. And part of our exclusion criteria were patients under the age of 50 because of concerns regarding that. So we haven't looked at that population, but I think it would be fascinating to see if there's a difference. Mark, thank you very much. Brilliant. Thank you. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.